Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this leadership series where we're talking about eight qualities of great leaders. Hey, we all lead someone somewhere and we hope the quality that we talk about today will help you lead better tomorrow. Before you sign off, don't forget to check in at branchlife.church. We'd love to hear from you and stay to the end of this talk. I've got some more information before you go. I hope you enjoy today's leadership quality. Right. Well, if you do have your journals, we actually are going to start covering some ground today. We've been meandering through chapters one and two. Today we're doing all of chapter three. So it's pages 14 through 18 in your journal. You can pick any one of those uh, journal pages if you'd like to take notes as you're following along. I misspoke last week. Today is not the grand finale. Unless you want it to be the grand finale, then it's the grand finale. And next week is a bonus week. So we have another week left in lead before we launch into our next series. As we're covering the eight influential qualities of influential leaders, uh, we're learning together that we all have God-given influence to leverage for kingdom impact. In other words, God wants to use you to do great things that will last for eternity. And that's what God's call is for all of us. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3 is one of those books of the Bible where you might tend to just say, I don't think there's anything really here. And here, let me give you one Bible study principle that I, that I think is a very valuable principle. Whenever you're reading the Word of God, you want to ask yourself this question. Why did I need to know this? Why did God include this verse or this chapter or this book in Scripture? Because there's a purpose to this being the truth of God that He wants us to know. Now, I am not going to read for you Nehemiah chapter 3 today. It's impossible for me to accomplish that task. If you have your journals open, and I think it's on page 14, you, you can start reading, actually page 12. You can start reading right now, and you can go through all the verses in Nehemiah chapter 3 uh, through the next things, and you're going to understand very quickly why I am not reading this for you, okay? Because there's all kinds of names in our story, in, Nehemiah chap in the book of Nehemiah, he was in Persia. He got permission from the king. As he was the cupbearer, right? He was the bartender to the king. He, he was given permission to come over and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 2, he comes over. He inspects the wall. He makes a game plan. Chapter 3, they build the wall. Now, why does chapter 3 need to be any longer than they build the wall, right? They just started he started talking about all these different names, these different people. And we started to ask ourselves, well, why? Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to see this? What can I learn? And what we're going to see today, I think, is a super important principle that we see all through Scripture. And it may be one of, it's one of my values as life. It's one of our values at Branch Life Church that we live by. And it's demonstrated in a very simple truth that I want to demonstrate in a game today. We're going to have a competition and may the best man or woman win, all right? In order to play, you need your phone. So everybody grab your phone. You have my permission to bring it out. Ignore all the notifications. There are no games happening right now, so you don't have to check the score, right? So you get your phone out. We're, literally, we're going to have a competition. On Right Now Media, there is a uh, teaching series called Multiply. I don't remember who published it or who the, who the speaker was. 
gave us a lot of uh, our content that we're going to cover today. They included this game, which I'm going to play with you right now. So take out your, your phone. You need to get to the calculator, and everybody grab uh, the calculator screen. This is what you need to play, all right? Again, you can verse your family in this. You can go against me, everybody else in the room. We're going to all follow the instructions, so we're all doing the same thing. This is a speed test. We're going to put in the same equation. So here's the equation. First, make sure it's clear that you're starting at zero. Then put two plus two. Don't do anything else. In just a moment, I'm going to count to five. And as I count to five, you're going to hit the equal sign as fast as you possibly can. The highest number wins. Make sense? Ready? On your mark, get set. One, two, three, four. Five, done. Yeah, now if you were, if you were slacking, like, that's not my fault, right? Like, you can't blame me for a second that you didn't jump on as soon as I started counting one. You're all there, hey, wait, start over. No, we're not starting over. You snooze, you lose. That's how it works at Branch Life Church. I got 78. Did anyone beat me? Anyone beat me 78? What'd you get, Dan? 138. 138. Anyone beat 138? Anyone better than 138? Did you play this time? Did you get 200 plus? No, okay. We had 200 in the first service, right? 200, right? So, congratulations. Well done to Dan for taking it home for us. So, that's a high number, right? That's speedy fingers Dan down there. Like, just incredible. Like, he does a little workout with his fingers. Like, and he gets it, gets it all figured out. That, that's a high number. Now, let's change the equation and see what we get, all right? So make sure you go back to zero and then don't have the, have the equation canceled. This time you're going to do two times two, right? Two times two. Same thing, five seconds. As soon as I start counting, if anyone's paying attention. <laughs> five seconds, see how, see how much you can get. Ready? On your mark, get set. One, two, three, four, five, stop. <gasps> I, hit the, I hit the period button. <laughs> two times two. One, two, three. I need a number. Five, okay. I didn't even know this was a number because there's a letter in mine, right? I don't know how this happens. I got 2.147484E9. E9. Is there a mathematician that knows what that means? It's more than a billion, right? It's more than a trillion. Does anyone have the same number but you have a higher E? E10. You gave up. E11. Holy smokes. I don't know what that means, but it's a really big number, right? Like, now, now here's the simple, congratulations, you win. Yeah, well done. Here's, here's the, you beat Dan. Yeah, you have to fight over the finger trophy for, uh, here, here's the principle, right? Great leaders understand this. Great leaders understand this. Multiplication is greater than addition. Multiplication is greater than addition. This simple equation is transformational, right? All truth is God's truth in our lives. Multiplication is greater than addition. And when we're playing the addition game for five seconds, we can get in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 100s, maybe for a pro level, the 200s. 
But if we do multiplication in the same five seconds, right, it, we don't even understand the numbers because somehow the numbers got letters in them. And here's, here's this, this truth that we're looking at this morning that's become foundational in my life is influential leaders understand they must multiply other leaders. Influential leaders multiply other leaders. And let me put this in another way for us today just to try to convince you about how important this is. And, and then I'll show you why we see this in, in Nehemiah chapter 3. Said this way, great leaders don't make more followers. Great leaders make more leaders. This isn't original with me. I don't know where it came from. But this sentiment, man, I don't think could be any more true. Whether this is an ancient saying or a, a modern saying, in an age of social media followings, to actually understand that, that multiplication is more important than addition to actually understand that, that more followers is not the goal, it's more leaders, is life-changing. I want you to understand that if your goal in life is more followers, everything's going to fall apart. If, if our goal at Branch Life Church was just having more people be a part of our worship services, that's not going to last. If your goal on social media is to just to get as many likes and as many followers as possible, to get as many people behind your great name as possible, then you have one fatal flaw that inevitably will take down everything you've built. And that's simply this. What happens when the leader goes away? If it's a follower with millions of leaders, as soon as the follower falls away, and followers, or excuse me, as soon as the leader falls away, and leaders fall for many reasons. They make mistakes. They, they end up creating Bitcoin companies and then going to jail in the next year, right? They, they, they end up, they end up uh, misstepping or deleting their account or falling out of favor, right? And whenever the leader dissolves, and, and, and on Shark Tank, they always say, what happens if you get hit by a bus, right? The leader gets hit by a bus. What happens to the to the momentum, what happens to the ministry, what happens to the movement, well, that dissolves, it, it falls away. Why? Because the followers scatter. But if that leader, that, influ that influencer doesn't focus on making followers, but focuses on making more leaders, what happens then when the person in the lead chair steps to the side or gets hit by a bus or leaves to do something else? Well, there's many leaders who then pick up the responsibility and take it further than any one leader ever could. You see, the more powerful thing to do in leadership is to develop leaders, not followers. Now, scripturally, I think we can learn some valuable lessons here. We're going to see them from a couple of different places in scripture today about why great leaders multiply. And first, we're going to look at Nehemiah and the builders, and we're going to learn this. What is heavy becomes light. From Moses and Joshua, we're going to see that it's, it, what is built will then last. From Jesus and the Twelve, we're going to see that what matters most in, is people. And from Paul, who is the master multiplier, we're going to see how to, ha how to be a part of the mission of multiplication. And it all falls under this idea, great leaders don't make more followers, they make more leaders. You see, great leaders understand that it's not, they're not to seek to be the main man, they seek to make more men. They seek to make more leaders. And it's not about promoting my great name. It's not about promoting your great name. It's about promoting people around you to carry things farther than you ever could 
on your own. Now let's look at these three lessons or these, three, these four reasons and jump right into Nehemiah chapter 1. First, lesson number one or reason number one that great leaders multiply leaders is simply this. What is heavy becomes light when you multiply leaders. What is heavy becomes light when you multiply leaders. I want to remind you about Nehemiah's great, big, heavy task. His job was to build the walls around an entire city. To create the Great Wall of China around the city of Jerusalem, it, had to, it was massive and huge and, and a, a big undertaking, and he was a glorified bartender. All he did in his life was serve the king wine. That was, that was who he was. But somehow in Nehemiah's mission, he had accomplished all kinds of amazing things. He got the funding. He got permission. He had traveled all the way to Jerusalem. He had taken time to, to look at the project and to investigate it. He saw the need and he cared about it. He prayed and he prayed again. And here he is standing in front of the wall and he's done all that stuff. And now he's at, now what? How is one man supposed to accomplish such a massive task? And it is impossible for Nehemiah to build a wall alone. Impossible. And all of us understand that there are some massive tasks that we have in our lives that we are trying to lift on our own, but it is impossible to do these things on our own. When you multiply leaders, the impossible becomes possible. And Nehemiah then starts about the task of not building a wall as much as he went about the task of building a team. You see, Nehemiah in chapter 3, we learn very specifically, he may have never picked up a brick in his life, but what he did as a great leader is he built other leaders. In Nehemiah chapter 2, at the end of the, of the chapter, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and his gates are burned. Come, let, what's the next word? Us. Come, let me build a wall. No, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That, what's the next word? We may no longer suffer desertion or mockery. Let, and we'll say it again, us rise up and build. Let's rise up and build. Remember we said last week that we, it's time to rise up and do what it is God has called us to do. And so Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32, and you've read it, right? In the last 10 minutes, you've read from the first verse all the way through. You know those names are impossible to pronounce, and I have got no chance of getting through this chapter. There are 60 named leaders in that chapter. I counted them myself. There are 60 named leaders who helped rebuild the wall. These 60 people were not just uh, masons and hired help who were contractors and experts at concrete and concrete mixture. They weren't, they weren't professional block movers. These 60 people were goldsmiths. In other words, they made jewelry. They were governors and rulers. This was the guy pushing papers right up in the big office. They were, the, they were brothers, family members, priests, servants, temple servants. They took care of the, the, the sweeping the floor and getting the, the cows ready. They were gatekeepers and merchants, and I don't even know what a perfumer was, but Jerusalem had them. And Nehemiah himself was an expert in wine. And here they are coming together to do the impossible task. And they were not the ones, they, they were not themselves the wall builders. Each one of these 60 named leaders were responsible for a team of people, some of them in the hundreds of people who then were actually put to the task of building the wall. These were the leaders of leaders. Nehemiah had assembled a team. 
I just want you to think for a second about the amount of work that that took, the amount of time that that took, the amount of energy that that took. He was able to pass along somehow, some way, to get enough experts, to get enough planning, to get enough funding, to get enough time, to get this many people leading a massive effort, an impossible effort, to rebuild the wall, and they actually did it. The impossible became possible because Nehemiah was able to invest in leaders. Now, the question that's natural for us this morning is simply this. What is your heavy lift? What are, what are you trying to carry right now? What are you trying to do that seems impossible for you? And it's, it feels like you're about to break under the strain or the weight of your project or your problem or, or your plan. And maybe this morning, what you need to hear today is what God is calling us to do is to not lift heavy things alone. He has asked us over and over and over in Scripture to, to, to give Him our burden and to carry the burdens of one another. Why? Because when we do that, what is heavy becomes light. And some of you are carrying some significant burdens. You're carrying some significant weight, some significant responsibility. Maybe for you, there's something with your marriage and it just feels like it's falling apart and there's absolutely no hope. And this morning, it, said, it seems like a heavy lift, maybe even an impossible lift to ever even imagine that your marriage could be alive and vibrant again. And you're here today going, I've done everything I can do to see my marriage thrive, but it seems to all be going worse. This morning, can I just say to you, there is hope and there's hope in a team. God wants to supply for you everything you need to have a marriage that's thriving and healthy. And maybe today it's, it's the encouragement to say, hey, stop trying to fix it on your, on your own, but build a team. Invest in a relationship or relationships that can come alongside of you in these moments to, to help you lift what seems impossible. The first team member, obviously, is God. We're going to pray and we're going to pray again. But then who can God use in your life? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a shepherd. Maybe it's a group leader. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's a pastor. It could be a dozen different options where these can come alongside of you and lead. Maybe you're trying to lead in a, a ministry where you feel like you're doing it all alone. Maybe you're a, a fifth grade school teacher. <laughs> you're like, I've had these kids since September, and it's now the end of October, and I think I'm going to die, right? <laughs> like, this is impossible. I can't do this. And you're the teacher, and they're not hiring any more teachers. And you're like, well, that's a great concept, buddy, but I'm not, I can't bring anybody else into my room and help me, help me lead these kids. I was a youth pastor for years and years and years and years. Love working with teenagers. I think teenagers are awesome and amazing, and they're cool. They, now all the teenagers think I'm this old guy that preaches on Sunday mornings. And it's, it's, the hardest part about planning a church is like losing some connection with teenagers. And, and what I've done, some of my teenagers are here. Like they're all grown up, and they have kids now. And it's one of the greatest joys of my life has been, has been working with teens. And one of the things that I learned early on was some of my best leaders were not going to be hired help from the outside. It was going to be teens who were already part of the teen ministry. And maybe teacher, even in your classroom of fifth graders, maybe there's some leaders that could be developed to help you lead. And one of the joys that I've had in life was identifying student leaders and being able to invest in them and see them excel and shine. To help me as a youth pastor help some of the other kids, 
They could do more and, and do things better than I could ever do as a grown-up. But as they led, our teens led small groups. Our teens led our worship nights. Our teens led our activities. Like they had a, 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 did some amazing things because of, of leadership. And sometimes the leader comes from the least likely place that you're, going to, that you're going to invest or you're going to look. Maybe it is a business and you're getting ready to say, I'm, I'm starting my own business, but my budget is too small and this is a heavy lift. I would love to hire five more people, but I just can't get it done. Maybe in your network of businesses, there's a way for you to partner with other business leaders who are looking to share your burden. They come alongside for mutual benefit and be a part of your vision and your dream. All I know is that great leaders learn how to multiply leaders, not just engage more followers. Now, the second reason that, that great leaders multiply leaders is simply this. When you multiply leaders, what you build will last. When you multiply leaders, what you build will last. It's going to outlast you, and it's going to help you last farther longer when you multiply leaders. I want you to go to Exodus. In Exodus chapter 18, there's a fascinating story that involves Moses. And we all know what Moses did, right? Moses was in Egypt. He was adopted by the Pharaoh. He, he, he became the leader of the slaves, the Jews, and he led them out of Egypt. Ten plagues, crossing of the Jordan River. Well, now there's a million people wandering in the wilderness that no longer have a Pharaoh. They now have Moses, right? And Moses has to lead the people. It's going to turn out to be for 40 years. He's got to feed them. He's got to figure out how they're going to sleep. He's got to make sure that they're safe and they have medicine. He's got to, he's got to keep them wandering in the wilderness and not get attacked by any other people, armies. Like all kinds of big, huge, massive problems. Moses is doing everything that he possibly can to lead this huge, big task and do this heavy lift. And in Exodus chapter 18, verse 2, it says, After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, to his father-in-law, Jethro, and, and her two sons. Wait, what? Moses had gotten so busy, had gotten so consumed, had gotten so tired of leading that he had something had to give. And somehow, someway, Moses thought it was a good idea that what should give is his wife and his kids. And so he sent his wife and his kids away so that he could be a better leader. He sent them to his father-in-law, Jethro. Now look at Jethro's response. Jethro sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law... I'm coming to you with your wife and kids, right? Right? Jethro opened up the tent gate and saw his, his daughter-in-law and his grandkids. He went, what are you doing here? And they're like, Moses sent us. He doesn't have time for us. He's like, get in the car. We're going back to Moses. And he got him in the car and he drove him to Moses. On the way, he's texting Moses and he says, Moses, I'm on my way and I have your family and you better be ready for them. That's exact, that's, that is what's happening. I'm not making it up. He had an iPhone, too. Not, I'm not making that up either. In chapter 8, Moses told his father-in-law, so now, now dad comes in and goes, Moses, what's going on? It's okay, Jethro, dad, what, whatever you want me to call you. I, I, there's a lot of good stuff happening. And he says, uh, the Lord has done 
amazing things. And he's brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And, and he's helped us through hardships. And he's met us along the way. And the Lord has saved us. And it's unbelievable what's happened. And you should have seen the, 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 the dry land. And we walked through the Jordan River. And the ten plagues is, um, is crazy. And the Egyptians gave us all kinds of money. And, and now we're wandering through the wilderness. And we're going to go to the promised land. And we have the tabernacle. And it's, it's unbelievable. And it's great. And it's awesome. And Jethro, you'd be so proud of me. And it's awesome. And verse 9, Jethro was like, I'm delighted to hear about the goodness of the things the Lord has done in Israel in rescuing you from the hands of the Egyptians. Good job, Moses. This is truly great. This is truly amazing. God's doing some great things. But I have your wife and kids in the back of the car. I, something's not adding up. And so Moses goes on. He says, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And Jethro went, oh, morning till evening, you say. So Jethro's now watching Moses. And, and he said, and Moses said, watch here, see what I'm doing. And, and this is why you have my wife and kids. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is it you are doing for the people? Why do you, what's the next word, alone, sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening. So good job, Moses. That's great. Let me see what you're doing. Moses is like, well, I'm here from morning to night to sunrise to sunset. I eat all my meals here. I'm getting all this stuff done because I'm, I'm the only one that can do it. And Moses said, because the people come to me and they seek God's will. Whatever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And I'm the only one that can lead the people of Israel. And without me, they would have nobody. And I just can't imagine that God would want anyone else to do what only I can do. And I'm the best thing since sliced bread for the nation of Israel, Jethro. And Jethro looks at Moses and says, Moses, what you are doing is not good. Why not? I have your wife and kids in the back of the car. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Of course I can handle it, Jethro. Of course I can handle it. God's on my side. He opened the Jordan River. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have your kids in the car. It's not going well. And so Moses, I need you to hear this warning. And leader, I need you to hear this warning. If you want what you are building to last, well then heed this warning. Leaders burn out and movements fade away when you lead alone. Leaders burn out and movements fade away when you lead alone. Moses was doing everything in his power to lead the nation of Israel while his family was falling apart behind the scenes. And Moses was one step, one crisis, one absent father-in-law away of completely dissolving and not being able to handle the responsibilities that God was asking him to handle. Not alone, but because he was not setting up a team. Because he wasn't getting out of his own way. Because he was thinking he was the, the man for the job. And instead, he had to hear this message. Moses, you're going to burn out. Your family's going to fall apart. It's not going to last. And it's not going to do anyone any good if you keep trying to lead alone. So in, in Exodus, as they continue on with the conversation, 
Jethro says, listen to me now. I'm going to give you some advice, right? My, my boy, I'm going to give you some advice. God will be with you. You must be the people's representatives before God to bring their disputes to him, right? So Jethro is pointing Moses back to God. He goes, you're not, you're not the judge. God is the judge. Teach them his decrees and show them the way they are to live and how they're be, to behave. But select capable men from the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them, empower them, enable them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now look at the math. Instead of one man over millions, you're going to put a bunch of men, one over 10, one over 50, one over 100, based on their character and ability. Have them serve as judges for the people. Have them bring difficult cases to you. There's going to be some things that come to the leader of leaders. The simple cases, they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because, because they will share it with you. Look at the last verse. If you do this, as God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all the people will go home satisfied. This will be better for you and your people. This will be better for you and your family. This will be better for you and your church. This will be better for you and your business. This will be better for you and your team. This will be better for you and your profits. Understand this principle. When you don't go it alone, it's better for everyone involved. What you build will then last. It will be sustainable. It will be able to live past you when leaders multiply leaders. Powerful lessons. And there's a third lesson from, from the ultimate example of this, Jesus himself. Jesus and the 12 disciples, what we see from the life of Jesus is you know, this reminder. What matters most is people. As a leader, where should you invest your time, energy, efforts, and resources? What's the most important thing you can do with your dollars, with your days, and with your emotions? The most important thing you can do as a leader is invest in people because people matter most. It's said, it's said in the in leadership world, it's not how, it's who. And when you have the who, amazing things are able to happen. So when you are a leader of leaders, you understand what matters most is people. Did Jesus come to a broken world? Answer? Yes. Did this world have all kinds of problems? Yes, financial problems, natural disasters, government problems, wars, more wars. Did it, did it have, did it have uh, thieves and robbery and, and, and all kinds of dangers? All, all, 100%. When Jesus came to this world, did he focus on wars and did he focus on governments and did he focus on, on, on natural disaster relief, right? All all. All things that need their attention. Is that where he focused his time, energy, and effort? No. What did he focus his energy on? Twelve people. Twelve people. When Jesus started his ministry, he went out and he called twelve people. And what's fascinating when he called these twelve apostles is what he called them to. He didn't call Matthew, the tax collector, and say, Matthew, I need a tax collector because I need somebody good with numbers, and you're going to hand handle the finances of the kingdom, right? Thomas, 
you're a good thinker, you're very analytical, I'm going to bring you in because I need to set you up as a judge for the nations. Uh, Peter, I need a communicator, someone who can talk well in front of people, so I'm going to make you our communications director. He didn't come in and give all 12 of the apostles assignments for tasks. Do you know what he gave them all the assignment for? More people. Jesus called the 12, and in Matthew chapter 4, 19, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. My mission for you, disciple of Jesus Christ, is that you will change the world one life at a time. That you will change the world one heart at a time. Our mission is a mission of multiplication. It starts with one multiplying into others. Do you want to see difference, a difference in this world? Do you want to see good prevail over evil? Do you want to see healing in broken spaces? Do you want to see peace instead of war? Yes. Well, then you need to invest in someone who's going to invest in someone else. You need to be a disciple who makes disciples. You need to be a leader who creates more leaders. You need to be someone who becomes a fisher of men. And this is your regular rhythm in life. Jesus called 12 disciples and every disciple since to become disciple makers. That's our mission. People. People are more important than things. Followers of Jesus then must, right? This is what we are called to do. We must multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. This is so important to me and to Branch Life Church that this is one of our value statements. Branch Life Church exists to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. How does that play out? When someone comes to Jesus, one of your ones, someone at a worship service, when they decide to become a follower of Jesus, we celebrate that. That's one of the biggest, most important things ever. Just a couple nights ago, a couple weeks ago in youth group, a teenager, a teenage boy gave his life to Jesus. Amen? Like, that's an exciting thing. Other teenagers around in that moment. Other teenagers giving him the gospel. Like, that, that's thrilling. One of, our, one of our dads, their kids, just the other night at home, gave his life to Jesus, right? Like, that's what it's about. We want to see people reaching people. And then they step up and they get baptized. And so baptism is like our favorite day ever because they're declaring that they're following Jesus and they're going public with their faith. And since July 4th at Branch Life Church, we're approaching 30 baptisms just this year. How awesome is that, right? That's, that's fishers of men. It's happening, and it's happening in our generation, in our day and age. And next Sunday, we are having a baptism, and we're prayerfully considering putting the hot tub in the cafe. And all God's people said, amen, amen. right? <laughs> Getting too cold outside. And, and I've been trying to talk you into it for a year, and, and you guys are like, not going to do it. I'm going to wait till the 4th of July when it's warm out there. And so you don't have to wait. If you're ready to get baptized, tell us on your check-in that you're ready to get baptized. We can do it next week or any of the weeks to follow. Why? Because that's, that's disciples making disciples. That's people that are stepping forward in their faith. That's your chance to give your testimony to the world. Let's go. Then, then we want to be about making leaders. And so Branch Life Church exists to invest in leaders, team leaders, group leaders, leaders of our ministries, lead directors, leaders of Branch Life Church. We're super excited that over this next year, over the next two months, we're going to be installing up to four new elders. And, and that, I, I couldn't be more excited about that in the life of our church. And the Bible shows us that when, it, when you multiply leadership in the church, when deacons were brought in the church, when elders were brought in the church, when team leaders lead, when groups multiply, when group leaders lead, 
things happen. Multiplication happens. People come to Christ, and, it's, and I'm super excited about that. So we have, at Branch Life Church, we have a pastoral residency. where we, We're looking to invest in, in, in future pastors. We want to find men of God who want to minister in, in the life of God. That's why Alex is here. And we're, we're praying that maybe one or two more pastoral residents will be a part of Branch Life Church in the next year. But we want to see ministry residents. We want to see men and women trained up to do ministry. We want to see missions residents. We want to see more small group leaders leading in all kinds of different ways and capacities. And we want to see that impact happen. And then all of, the, all of you who are already leading at Branch, who are you developing next? Who's the leader that's coming behind you? Who's the one that you're pouring into so that you're not leading alone? Our worship leader, uh, Tyler, who, who's getting married, stepped away. He's invested in Alan and Claire. Now Alan and Claire are leading worship. Now Alan and Claire are looking about who can they invest in? Who can they bring up to become worship leaders, team leaders, worship collective musicians in the next, next season and churches? Our dream is to see 15 churches planted in 15 years. That's a heavy lift, right? How, how's it ever going to happen? God can do it, and he can use you to help. And we can't wait to see what God could do. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know what? I, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the family of God. Being a believer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is so much more than saving yourself. It's being a part of saving the world. It's being a part of God's plan for what's next. And you can make a massive difference when you decide to become a follower of God and you help other people do the same. And maybe you've been a part of religion. Maybe you've been a part of spiritual conversations. Maybe you're seeking. I want to call you today and say, I want to invite you in this moment to decide to become a follower of Jesus. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, today's the day. Maybe someone invited you to this moment. They sent you this video. They invited you to be a part of this worship service because you needed to hear this. All of us need Jesus. We can't lift this life on our own. And maybe today is the day where you bow your head and open your heart to God. And you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I'm sorry. And I want to accept the free gift of salvation. Today, I want to become a follower of Jesus. You can do that in this very moment. You can go to our gospel tab and investigate it in your own time. Or you can pray with one of our prayer team members after the service who will be right up here up front. But don't put off deciding to follow Jesus one more day. God's ready to see you come to Christ. Now, this, the, the fourth reason, and this is our final thought today, why, why great leaders multiply leaders is simply this. You, you lead best by building leaders who build leaders. You will be the best leader you can be when you build leaders who build leaders. Now, the, the great example of this in Scripture is Paul. Paul had Timothy and Barnabas and John Paul and Mark and he had at Titus, he had Philemon. Paul was pouring into person after person, city after city. And everywhere Paul, get, Paul went, he found faithful men and women that he poured into and they began pouring into other people. And it went from one little, little church in the church of Jerusalem to thousands of churches in, in, in Paul's lifetime and the generation to follow, to now millions of people, millions of churches all over the world. Why? Because Paul became someone who was good at building leaders who build leaders. And so if you want to become a master multiplier, just think about these five steps that it takes in order to multiply leaders in your life wherever you are. First, look for the faithful servant and then model godly leadership. And these two are interchangeable. As you go, as you model godly leadership, as you lead your business, your team, your, your ministry, model godly leadership and look for the faithful servant. 
To Timothy, Paul says this, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, as I've been going and doing what God has called me to do, entrust them, those things, to faithful men, find the faithful servants who will be able to teach others also, right? This is the plan. And so as a leader, yes, I need to lead well, but I need to make sure that I'm modeling and investing in faithful people around me. Paul did this so well. Well, then he goes on and he says to us, you need to equip them for the work ahead and empower them to lead. Ephesians 4, he, God, gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. He gave these leaders for what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. For our new elders, for for the pastoral team here at Branch Life Church, our job is not to lift all the heavy things that need to be done around here. Our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You lead the small group. You care for one another. You invest in your unsaved friends and family. You be a part of the work that God is doing. You become a leader who develops other leaders. You go fishing, right? God's got to get you doing the work of the ministry. Our job is to encourage that. And when that is happening and happening well, the church is unstoppable. Equipped for the work and empowered to lead others. And then Paul says, then we see this in Acts. When they established deacons, the 12 said it's not right. We we can't do everything we're asked to do and add all these other responsibilities. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and appoint them to this work. Find the faithful servants and empower them to do the work. And they prayed and they laid hands on them. They set them free to work. And then the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Multiplication is greater than addition. Do you hear me? Multiplication is greater than addition. And your mission as a follower of Jesus is to reach people who are going to reach people. Branch Life Church exists for disciples who want to make disciples and leaders who want to make leaders. And wherever you are called to vocationally, whether it's the classroom or the boardroom, God's asking you to be a leader who invests in other leaders. Yes, for the sake of your business and for your class and for your family, but also for the kingdom of God. And remember this. As we go, people are more important than things. People are more important than things. Jethro said to Moses, you can't abandon your family for the mission, for the project. My mother-in-law taught my wife and I this sentence. She's the one who I heard it from first. People are more important than things. So where are you going to invest, leader, your time, your talent, your energy? Where are you going to invest, parent, your time, your talent, your energy? Where are you going to invest, teacher? Where are you going to invest, disciple, your time, your talent, your energy? Invest it in people because people are more important than Let's pray. God, as you've called us to lead in various ways, we ask, Lord, that you would make us master multipliers. I pray, God, over our business leaders, over our our team leaders, Lord, over our our leaders in the home, our ministry leaders, God, our, our program leaders, even here at Branch Life Church. And I ask, Lord, that you give us all the ability to invest in people, God, that that we would be able to do whatever our hands find to do to the best of our ability through you. 
putting this practice in place, God, that we could identify around us faithful servants who we could invest in and equip to do the work that needs to be done so that they would be able to do the same. I, God, pray spiritually that our number one goal as followers of Jesus would be to see more people come to Christ. I pray for our ones. I pray for those that we would love to see come and know Jesus today. And I ask, God, you would give us the ability to pray for them regularly, to invest in them with our lives, and God, to invite them into a relationship with Christ as often as we can. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a multiplication explosion of disciples and leaders and churches. Not for our great name, but for the great name of our, our great Heavenly Father, the breath that's in our lungs. Great are you, Lord. We say all these things for your glory and your honor. And in your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. I hope that the quality we talked about today will help you be a better leader tomorrow. And before you log off, we'd love to connect with you. The best way to do that is to go to branchlife.church and check in. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to follow us online. Wherever you are connected, we'd love to connect with you. We hope to see you next time as we dive deeper into leadership. Have a great rest of your day.